Ultimately, everything kind of boils down to one question. What's the fucking point? So, let's talk about it. I'm your host, Valerie Martin, and this podcast brings a little levity and a lot of curiosity to some of the biggest questions and ideas that us meager humans can ponder. Join me and our guests each week as we dig into topics around consciousness, spirituality, psychology, and philosophy, all with a healthy dose of existential angst. And now, today's episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. It's episode number 12 of What's the Fucking Point? I don't have as an exciting of an intro for you this time as I did last time when I was freaking the fuck out about a spider, but I am in here with Minnie Kitty, one of my cats, and she is vacillating between just staring at me, like, like staring through my soul and snacking on her little snack. So if you hear any crunching in the background, that's Minnie, and she will probably be better behaved in here than if I try to let her out of the room. She will just whine to get in and out and in and out. You know how cats are. So here she goes. She's probably about to start whining. (laughs) Hi, Minnie. Say hello. Oh, she a little meow. You probably didn't hear it. So anyway, enough with the cat lady talk, but let's be real. I'm not trying to hide. I'm a total cat lady, but I only have two, so I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job restraining myself. So our guest for this week, if you enjoyed last week with Rebecca Trinidad, you're also going to love this episode. I met Crystal through her Instagram at PowerFemTarot, and all of that will be linked up in the show notes, and she is a dream. Uh, Let me just read the bio because it will do a much better job than all of the thoughts I have spinning through my head about how awesome she is. So Crystal is a New Orleans-based queer femme witch, priestess of the Morrigan, crafter of sacred tools, and professional tarot reader and teacher. She holds a PhD in gender studies and in her muggle life is a college professor. Her academic nature has led her to study tarot rigorously and joyfully since the age of 15. Crystal's lifelong personal and professional commitment, or professorial, excuse me, commitment to feminism, queer politics, and social justice also shapes her approach to tarot. For Crystal, tarot bridges intuition and intellect, as well as the spiritual and the political. Crystal uses tarot to crack open space for empowerment, individual and collective healing, and social change. Crystal is available to facilitate classes and read tarot at events in the New Orleans area. She is also presently developing an online tarot for social justice course called Tarot in the Tower. And as you'll hear in the episode, I'm just like, oh my God, when is this course going to be ready? Because I want to take it right now, which obviously she's doing so many amazing things. So we'll see when the course is ready, but just follow her on Instagram and you'll find out. And one of the things that she was so gracious to do for us is she is offering 10% off of her readings now through the end of the year, through December 31st, 2018. So if you use the code THEPOINT18, and it's all caps, I don't know if that matters, but it's THEPOINT18 in her online store at powerfemtarot.com. It will also work in her Etsy shop, but which you'll hear me mention on the show, her Etsy shop, but she told me afterwards that her you can now just buy all of her readings through her website. And let me just give you a little bit of a preview of some of the names of these readings, which are all 
these spreads are all original to her. So she has one called Sacred Sexuality, which you'll hear about in the interview, The Priestess Within. Um, there's The Heart of the Warrior, where she donates 50% to social justice organizations. The Cauldron, Reading for Transformation. The Raven, um, The Pilgrimage. So many of these very unique readings that she offers. And I told her I didn't get even get a chance to do a reading with her before scheduling because I sort of like fell in love with her on Instagram and was like immediately I need to bring you on the podcast. So I'm definitely going to schedule a reading with her soon and I will let you guys know on a future podcast how that goes and I but I can tell you that already I know she's amazing just from the interview and from following her and supporting her um, as a patron on her Patreon where she um, gives all kinds of goodies to people at any level of support. So I think that's all I really want to say. Um, let's see, what am I up to? Um, I have family in town, which I'm really grateful for as somebody who moved over a thousand miles from home. Um, always grateful to get to spend time with my longtime friends and with my family. So I have family visiting. We went to the 15th annual Nashville tomato art fest today which if you're not local you're probably like what the fuck is a tomato art fest i can't even describe it you guys it's just you have to go but it's just tomatoes everywhere tomato outfits tomato art like it's insane tomato everything you could imagine tomato 5k um and art of all kinds and so people come from surrounding areas and all over nashville with their booths um food and art and all kinds of incredible stuff so an awesome, very Nashville kind of event, and then going to a show at the Ryman tonight, going on the lake tomorrow. It is just a dream of a weekend. So um, very grateful for that and hoping that you all are getting to do some relaxing things whenever you're listening to this. And without further ado, let's get into the interview. So how long have you been in New Orleans? I have been in New Orleans just a few days more than a year. Awesome. So I still feel very much like a newcomer to the city, but yeah, starting my second year here in the cool. city. Where'd you move from? I moved from Indiana, mm. a little town called Bloomington. It's a, a magical, <laughs> small little college town um, that is in many ways, I think the best, the best place in Indiana. If you're going to go to Indiana, that's probably the only, only place worth, worth visiting in my opinion. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I think I've only been to Indianapolis and that was just to go to a Brandy Carlisle show. So, oh yeah. Well, Indy is like 45 minutes to an hour from Bloomington. So not too far. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And, um, one thing that I, when I remembered that you were based in New Orleans, and okay, so putting all my thoughts together, I told you I was watching some of your YouTube videos the other day, and I know some of them are older, and you're yes. probably like, "Oh my god, you know what were they?" But <laughs> um, in one of them, you were talking about the Druid Craft Tarot. Yes, and I love that deck. I mm-hmm. have that one. It's did you cut yours down because they're so big? I did. I yeah. trimmed it down. So most of the borders are chopped off. I kept the titles on the bottom and then rounded the corners. But yes, I think Will Worthington's art is so stunning. And I'm 
I'm one of the strange folks who gets really peeved by borders. So I just cut them off and his art really pops yeah. with it trimmed. Yeah, I, I think I saw that in the video and was like, I need to do that because they're, they're just hard to handle too. So mm-hmm. I'll have to do that. But um, yeah, and I love the book that goes with them and just... The, so the last episode that I had last week was with my friend Rebecca, who I met at a um, a gathering of the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. And yes, so, I just listened to that. Yeah. You met in Louisiana, right? Yes, and I, and I was like, oh my gosh, if you don't already know about this, um, the Gulf Coast gathering is every like end of March. Um, so they already have the date set for 2019, but it's in Lake Fontainebleau, so it's super close to you. Oh, and great. you should totally come. And we will hang out in real life. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely look into it. Thanks. Yeah, it's really it's really a neat organization. And the the like chief guy um, who's been the chief for like th- almost thirty years. He's also a therapist, and so he brings this like really integrative approach to all the things that they've built. And he's just named his successor, which is a woman, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so she will be there. But anyway. Just wanted to, like, throw that out there, a neat sort of confluence. Um, Mm -hmm. But what is your favorite deck right now, or do you have, like, an all-time favorite deck? Ooh, an all-time favorite deck. I am an unabashed deck slut, so it (laughs) it is hard for me to narrow it down. My first deck was the Smith Rider Waite which is a really iconic deck and I don't have a fancy special vintage edition. It just happens to be the the one I picked up when I was 15 and it would be really hard for me to part with that deck because of that, that personal connection. But artistically, it's not necessarily my favorite. I really love slow hauler which is unfortunately out of print though the creators whisper i think every once in a while that maybe it will have a second printing but it's a really amazing collaborative deck that was produced by people who are queer and or southern so it has a really unique unique voice. The color palette is all black, red, white, and gold. And it revisions the cards in ways that I find to be really justice-centered and to really honor the realities and complexities of trauma and healing. So, mm-hmm. um, I, yes, the Rider Waite Smith, of course, will always be like my home deck in many ways. But since the slow hauler is almost impossible to find now and it has such a unique voice, it would be impossible to replace it from my collection. Cool. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember what the name of, um, there was like a centennial. Mm. the smith weight or something like yes. that right yes weight centennial yeah. edition mm-hmm. i got that one recently because the original writer weight i'm definitely like too judgy i'm like oh that's hard to look at but but like mm-hmm. you said i mean if you had history with it obviously it makes sense that that's a special deck for you but i mm-hmm. never got that one and so i i just recently got the centennial and it's funny because um, I love the phrase deck slot. <laughs> <And laughs> I'm just like such a sucker for, I just, 
love the beautiful images and the aesthetic and the different frameworks and how you can take the same archetypes and revision them. And so um, I already have like five and I haven't even used them much. My husband is like always laughing whenever I get a new one. He's like, are you going to use it? <laughs> but um, don't judge me. <laughs> but also they're only, they're, you know, I know that the more of the indie print ones are a little more expensive. Like you would want to actually use those, but, but a lot of them are, they're not, you know, it's not a bad thing to collect. I would say. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> Do you happen to have a deck anywhere around you? I forgot to ask you that before we started recording. It's totally fine. I do. I actually have the Smithwaite Centennial in a tin. Oh, lovely. Yes. Yeah, so it's a mini version of it, and it's in a nice little tin protective container. So I just chuck it into my bag so yeah. that I always have a deck around me. But I also brought my daily draws from my my tarot and oracle decks that I used earlier today just to kind of set out and yeah. have as visual visual reminders. Yeah. When you do your daily draw, do you is it like a specific question? Is it always the same question or is it more of a general like what did, what do I need to be aware of today? I generally ask what the energy of the day is. Mm. And then I'll pull a second card asking for guidance. So it's kind of like an energetic snapshot of the the climate I'm walking into that day and then an advice card. So that's generally the what I do each day, just a quick two part two card pull. Yeah, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. I always get hung up on um I get too focused on like that there's a right way to do something and uh, and and I know that is not at all what the cards are about but it is hard mm-hmm. to balance that sort of um I know you're you're a Harry Potter fan, right? Um are you a Ravenclaw? I am. Oh gosh, you Cuz I was like nailed oh, it. <laughs> I can spot a fellow Ravenclaw. Um, oh, yeah. That's one of the things that I really appreciate about um, just the what I have sort of read or seen of you sharing your story is that it's not a bad thing to really want to study the cards and, you know, from that more academic place. Um, and as long as there's also room to sort of blend and, and merge that with the more spiritual intuition kind of piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. For me, tarot really is a tool that invites us to bridge intuition and intellect. And it's my belief that you really need to develop your intuitive and scholarly capacities to execute a really thoughtful, precise, nuanced tarot reading. I'm also an academic, so <laughs> it is my nature to take a more scholarly approach. But the tower is not the sun card, right? The ten of cups right. is not the three of swords. They do have different traditional meanings and I do a lot of work with the cards to revise 
to revise those traditional meanings mm-hmm. to ensure that they are more inclusive and reflective of my lived embodied experiences and those of my clients and queerants. But in order to come up with those more complex or multifaceted or inclusive meanings, you need to have at least some beginning reference point in my my understanding. Um, of course, there are lots of different ways that we come to tarot and lots of different ways to learn and study. So I'm, I'm certainly not someone who insists that you need to be certified mm-hmm. and that there is any such thing as like becoming a master or authority of the tarot. I think we're all forever students of, of the tarot and of of really everything else in life. But I do make a point to ensure that I'm keeping up and delving into tarot study so that I have that foundation and then can launch intuitively off of that. Yeah, I love that. And um, one of the videos that I watched the other day was you describing your process of the little white book. So mm. I will definitely put that in the show notes because it's it's a very thorough video. And so I recommend that anyone listening who's interested, check that out. But could you give just like a little brief synopsis of like what a little white book is and sort of like how you're you're approaching that? Sure. And I think the video you are referencing maybe is on my Patreon. Okay, cool. I think, I think yeah. yeah, maybe it is. I can't remember if it was Patreon or YouTube, but you might yeah. be right. Yeah. I love my my journal. I'm so obsessed with my <laughs> little awesome. journal. My spouse makes fun of me because I like carry it because I'm such a Ravenclaw. I like carry it <laughs> around the house and my spouse will joke and be like, my journal, my notebook. I love my notebook. But sure, the little white book, if you own a tarot deck, is the tiny little companion book that is included and Oftentimes, the interpretations for the cards in those little white books are super duper short and um, a bit rigid. We're seeing more and more that tarot decks being published are coming with beefy, really juicy sort of guidebooks that are several hundred pages long, but the little white book is it's just that little bit with your tarot deck and my personalized little white book is is not so small but I just took a a journal that I got at like Michael's or something like that and I set up a table of contents and assigned a couple pages for each card and it's where I jot down my own personal gnosis I'm less interested in just transcribing things that I'm reading off the internet or from other people. Though when I do that, I make sure to cite my sources and be um, generous and generous in my citation as a way of honoring the respect, honoring and respecting other teachers and tarot practitioners. But it's more so a place for me to jot down my own experiences and insights that I have when working with the cards. So it's it's turning out to be a really awesome collection of my own like tarot theory and tarot approach. Yeah, that's so cool. And of course, like my first thought and after hearing like how much time and and, um, energy goes into that, I'm like, oh my God, what if you lost it? 
Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, which is precisely why I'm like, my journal, my journal. <laughs> I have to know where it is. It's one of the yeah. five things that you carry out of your house during the fire. Oh, absolutely. It truly would be. Yeah, because I've thought about like it, when I, especially when I watched that, I was like, I now have a journal. I haven't done anything with it, but it would be perfect for that. So I'm like, okay, whenever I want to bite off that project, start mm-hmm. start it, I can. And I'm like, oh, I could do it on Evernote. And then it's like, I could keep editing that way. But it's just, there's something, I feel like it really does. Like, obviously technology is great for so many things. And even like, gosh, I'm so inspired by the community of people that I'm like realizing exists that I can connect to on Instagram like you. Um, So technology is wonderful. But when it comes to something like that, that you're going to be using while you're maybe doing a reading even, it just really seems to lose some of the magic of I'm like, hang on, let me pull up my Google Doc, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, there is something for me um, really intimate about the materiality of having a pen and paper and the uh, like the intention and magic of like committing something to the page. And um, for you and for anyone else working on a tarot journal, like the one I described, know that it's like a slow process, right? Like I don't write down any and everything that I know about every single card. A lot of that can just be stored in in your mind as you have a working relationship with the card. But it's like where I slowly jot down the things that for me feel like really profound, like big epiphanies and I want to make sure that I hold on to. Mm-hmm. Cool. So one of the things that really drew me to to you and getting curious about your work is how you bridge the sort of spiritual inquiry with the political and social justice. And mm-hmm. I can't tell you, you, you probably heard a little bit of this on that last episode, um, number 11 with Rebecca, that it's that's something that has bothered me about the sort mm-hmm. of spiritual community, like the very like, white Lulu I'm literally wearing Lululemon pants as I'm saying this right now mm-hmm. which I'm like oh my god I'm such a hypocrite um it's self-reflexive but, <laughs> right right but like the the spiritual white like mystical woman and and how it's just like that and the manifesting it just it all leaves a, a really bad taste in my mouth and and yet that's like the uh, to what the majority of what I had been sort of exposed to and aware of before and then finding these people who are making this intersection like you it's I haven't seen that really outside of like the tarot community specifically is really the biggest place I'm seeing that so and that might just be what I'm exposed to right now but mm-hmm. um yeah I would love if you could say a little bit more about like, so, you know, the, the idea of having this deck as spiritual exploration, but how, how the hell is it that you bridge that with activism and social justice? Sure, sure. Well, I'll say that for me, this is my approach to tarot. Tarot is a tool. And that might sound like really obvious, but anchoring into that understanding that tarot is a tool is a reminder to me that we have a choice in how we use it and that we can be invited to cultivate um, more critical justice-centered ways of using and interpreting the deck. And it's also a reminder that 
the magic is not the tool. Like we are the magic. Mm. Um, and for me, the spiritual is indeed political, which this phrase, it's, I'm not the person who's coined this, this phrase. A lot of folks use this as a shorthand, but it's a riff on the second wave feminist adage, the personal is political, which was a way of articulating the ways that are in what may seem like our own individual isolated experiences are actually connected to and products of social phenomena. So when I say the spiritual is political, it is simply to say that spiritual matters are never divorced from our social and political context. Mm-hmm. So when I'm reading the tarot, um, I think it's often a really useful tool for for marginalized people who've been told that our ways of thinking and feeling and knowing and existing are wrong. And the tarot is a really great tool for us to reverse some gaslighting and learn to trust ourselves and to repair our relationships to our own intuitions. And in that, it becomes a tool of not only individual, but also collective healing. So when I'm working with the cards, one of the things that I'm really trying to do is to stay conscious of the social and political context, whether I'm reading for myself or for someone else, but to we're grappling with and that we're seeking clarity on through a tarot reading are intimately tethered to what's going on in the world around us and are not divorced from systems of power and from um, the various identities and embodiments that we occupy. Yeah, that makes so much sense. And I and I feel like that articulates really well one of the things that when I think about the whole concept of like manifesting or law of attraction and, and how angry I used to get at just this the simplistic idea that like, oh, well, you know, if this child has cancer, that then that child's soul must have just done something either mm-hmm. in a previous life or like whatever that's like calling this. But really, it's more of the societal, like what is it mm-hmm. in our in our societal ill that's showing up right now in this one physical body and many other physical bodies that it's not like we we tend to very much put ourselves at the center of the universe and it's not like you said you can't entangle the the personal from the political the spiritual from the political it's all sort of that universal consciousness and universal that shadow too sure sure and i'm not a subscriber in any steadfast way at all um to the law of attraction, I do identify as a witch. So I, I do think that there is a power of intention and of that manifestation can certainly be real, but even my identity as a witch and the work that I'm doing under that moniker is fiercely political and not everyone has this perspective, but the term witch is historically laden with political meaning. It was a term used to brand gender nonconformist folks who bucked the status quo, healers, 
like, yeah, nonconformists of all types. And we're all the people branded as witches, practitioners of what we might call witchcraft now. Probably not. No, we don't have historical evidence for that. But nonetheless, like I see myself as being part of of this lineage of of like reclaiming what is inherently a super politicized term. So from the get go for me, like I can't I can't separate that out from my magic. It doesn't make any sense for me to um, subscribe to a philosophy like the law of attraction in such a a political sort of way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, one of the things, because I'm imagining that some people listening to this might be pretty familiar with like witchcraft, Wicca, all of that kind of stuff, and some people might not be. So mm -hmm. one of the things that I think is is pretty um, empowering about that sort of path is obviously there's like the giant tent of paganism under which, mm -hmm. you know, Druidry and Wiccan and, and like 80 million other things and um, and that it's not seen as like, like even looking at, at Druidcraft, how it's mm -hmm. a blend of Druidry and, and witchcraft, um, that it's not seen by most people, I think, as a bad thing to find the pieces that make sense to you to really craft your own sense of spirituality, your own sense of deity, whether mm -hmm. that is polytheistic or pantheistic or monotheistic or atheistic. Mm -hmm. um, so I would be curious to just hear a little bit about, because I know that's something you described, you've had sort of a shift in your own, your own sort of spiritual journey um, in terms of your understanding of like God, goddess, whatever that piece of it is for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think everyone's spiritual path is a solitary one. Even if you are a member of a grove or a coven, we're all walking this path as our own spiritual authorities. And it took a long time for me to really settle into this understanding that I am the priestess of my own path and that I do get to carve out a practice for myself that aligns with my own spiritual truths. And this is not to knock tradition um, for those who do find a lot of nourishment in more organized um, and collective practice necessarily been my path and I struggled for a long time as a hashtag teen witch um, <laughs> to I yeah I struggled to like find where I fit because I was like getting all the Llewellyn books and feeling like I had to have my altar set up in this way and that I had to be reciting words in this particular manner and that you could only cast a circle doing it in this very formulaic way. And so it took me like many, many years to, to stretch out of that. And again, that sort of like tradition and repetition can be great for some people. It wasn't necessarily for me. And so once I started settling into this notion that I am the authority of my own spiritual path and practice, I found that my own beliefs were changing more quickly than I could even keep. I've moved to my own surprise from a 
strictly pantheistic approach to something more akin to polytheism. And that's not where I expected it to end up whatsoever. But it's also been um, a really emboldening series of realizations as I've kind of like relaxed into my own practice and relaxed into um, my beliefs and to feel them kind of shift in really organic ways. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. And um, again, for listeners who may not be so familiar with like polytheists, I'll share like my understanding of what that means Mm -hmm. and you can correct me or add on. Sure. But just the idea that there is not just one sort of God or goddess energy and um, that there are different ones that come from different sort of cultural lineages that might have different sort of stories or um, traits associated with them. And so mm-hmm. some people find themselves either either like a particular goddess sort of finds you and mm-hmm. and that becomes sort of the primary person that you you develop a spiritual kind of connection and even sort of a devotion to, um, mm-hmm. or or you kind of do that research and and land on one that feels most in alignment. So that some people are approach it that way, and some people might be interested in in multiple gods or goddesses, but not have a particular one that they're devoted to. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, I would say so. Um, yeah, pantheism is is more of the understanding that everything is God, everything is the divine, and it is the collective that is the divine, um, and so that we all are just different facets. And there are aspects of that that I still really resonate with. But yes, as you mentioned, polytheism is poly, so multiple, so like multiple forms of deity. And there's like a whole spectrum of like soft polytheists to hard polytheists where um, some folks work with personified deity in ways that are more archetypal or mythological, historical, um, kind of seeing gods and goddesses as, um, yeah, like kind of role models, aspirational archetypes as powerful, more like mythological figures. Um, And then like all the way down to hard polytheists who have a more like intimate, palpable connection with deity that um, feels and is like very, very real and alive and active. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So sort of like the more um, metaphorical, mythological to the more literal in terms of yeah. how people experience sure. it. Yeah. Um, so how was it that either you found the Morgan or she found you? It is definitely the latter. I feel that she really, she really chose me. <laughs> and then I had, she's a goddess of sovereignty. So I felt like I needed to make that choice back. Mm. and to um, step into that relationship in a really intentional way. But I, for 
a long time was quite obsessed with this idea of finding a matron goddess um, in a way that was like very ego driven and unhealthy. I'll like totally admit because I wanted to feel special. I wanted to have that spiritual anchor. And at the time I was more on the pantheistic end of things. So I was working more archetypally, more metaphorically. And I did like some dabbling with the goddess Lilith and, um, just kind of explored elsewhere, but then um, the Morgan really flooded in in a way that really redefined everything for me. It was like a total tower moment in the tarot where like every spiritual paradigm and structure that I had built for myself in my practice was like totally blown to smithereens and um it's been been beautiful but it's like profoundly uh, like unsettling and like redefining yeah incredible um I actually thought of there's an article that was posted in a Facebook group that I'm in, which is like pagans for social justice. Mm -hmm. And I've had it open for like a week or two. And I finally sat down and read it. And I'm just like, still processing it. I think it would be um, an interesting thing to to kind of talk about for a minute. So I'm going to read just like a small little snippet of it. And then Mm -hmm. I'll post it in the show notes. So it's um, a blog post, a recent post by, um, what is her name? Where is it? Scarlet Magdalene, who is the Mm -hmm. tea-addicted witch on, did they say Patheos or Patheos? I don't know. But um, it's called Why I Absolutely Loathe and Despise the Maiden Mother Crone Model. So the, the post, or part I'm reading says... Um, women are more than their bits and fertility status. This is offensive to cis and trans women both. This is why the maiden mother crone model has always left me cold. I avoid it like the plague. From women who had hysterectomies to those who had never had a womb to those who choose not to have children, for those who have tried and failed to conceive, why should any woman, let alone a goddess, be reduced to the role of simply childbearer? Why should our status be centered around that of having kids? Haven't we in the 21st century gone past the notion of women just being caregiver and child bearers and are so much more why reduce it to goddesses or goddesses to a standard that we ourselves have long since moved past there are people who have tried to amend mmc by adding a warrior aspect honestly this is the only aspect i could possibly relate to who wouldn't love goddesses such as athena the morrigan or sekhmet um so anyway she goes on to describe sort of her her problem with it and at one point she she (laughs) names it the um all because of our insistence upon having an MMC goddess Barbie and wanting to see that reflected in our female witches. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, just curious if you have any initial thoughts hearing some of that. I do, and I know that you're you're a big lover of books, too. So the first thing that I have to recommend or have to say in response is a book recommendation. Mm -hmm. So if that quote kind of piques your interest, there's a book called Jailbreaking the Goddess, by Lasara Firefox Allen. And what I find so incredible about Firefox Allen's book is that she is incredibly um, generous in the way that she cites the pioneers of feminist goddess-centered paganism, but is saying in 
a like compassionate yet critical way that it's time that we fucking upgrade. Mm-hmm. That this is an outmoded and limited way of thinking of the goddess with the maiden mother crone threefold aspect, which folks sometimes perhaps don't realize is a contemporary construction that maiden mother crone was developed, I think by, I think it's Robert Graves is yeah, his she name. she talks about that in the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's only dating from to the 70s. So that is a, a human construction of, in the way that we look at deity. And so Lasara Firefox Allen is kind of exploding that threefold model to create a fivefold model, knowing again that we can never fully understand or uh, capture the complexity of goddess, of deity, source, spirit, nature, whatever your preferred language there is um, with a model, but we can develop more robust frameworks for understanding it. And so this fivefold model that Lasara Firefox Allen develops does not hinge on reproductive capacity and is more about autonomy and, and life stage in a way that is much more fluid and inviting for folks who are queer, who are trans, um, whose life is not meaningfully structured by reproductive capacity because of like lots of different things. So yeah, that would be like my first thought is everyone should go read this book. Yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely um, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and, and even as like a straight question mark, this um, <laughs> <laughs> woman, I, you know, I'm not sort of left out in that way, but I, I don't want to have kids. And so I do feel like a lot of the traditional Robert Graves E kind of um, made Mother Crone versioning of the goddess. It yeah, I feel unincluded, and like if I feel unincluded as a cis woman, like imagine how many other people feel unincluded and um, excluded. And so, funny thing is, I did not even realize that that's what that book was about, or mm-hmm. largely. Um, and I, but as I was like one day months ago going through Amazon like oh my god I need to get more books and putting a bunch of things on my wish list I put that one on there and I got it mm-hmm. for Christmas but I've I'm always reading too many books so it's just like one up on the shelf but now mm-hmm. that you have said this as soon as I finish one of the other books I'm reading I'm picking that one up because I'm like totally sold and can't wait to read it oh it's great I'll be interested to know your thoughts on it once you dive in yeah super exciting I love I love that revisioning um, another thing, like, as I'm looking at some of the resources that you, um, recommend, um, Lindsay Mack for, from Tarot for the Wild Soul, um, I am doing her course mm-hmm. soon. And I didn't know if, if that's something I am too. You are too. Cool. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. So for anybody listening to this live, I think it's not, yeah, it's not too late to get into that course for this year, but she is another person who just takes this wider lens and I just Mm -hmm. it's it's like it's opening a whole new world to me so it's Mm -hmm. super exciting Mm -hmm. yeah I'm excited to dive in I've been super pumped I actually enrolled in the course on my birthday so yay we're gonna be classmates cool (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and another one of the things that drew me to you 
was our shared love of Buffy. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> and as I told you in my email, because I'm like, don't want any spoilers, um, I have to like watch what Buffy related things that I look at online since what I told Crystal was that. Um, I watched Buffy on the original airing, which was like 20 years ago, and I have a shit memory, so I really don't remember past where I currently am. It's the first, I'm like, I don't know why it took me so long to rewatch it, but I'm loving it, and um, as anyone who knows me personally knows how obsessed I am with the podcast Buffering the Vampire Slayer, mm-hmm. um, and and now I love Angel, too. I just finished season one of Angel. It's just... Again, one of these things that's opening this whole new world. And so I would love to just hear, with no spoilers, <laughs> oh, past, okay. past season four at least, um, okay. what do you love about Buffy and what really speaks to you and spoke to you about Buffy? Okay, I'll have to ensure <laughs> that I'm not giving anything away. No spoilers for you or other people who've not watched Buffy. Um, my mom was and is a huge Stephen King fan and Rice, and so um, like vampires and monsters was basically like mother's milk to me <laughs> as a child, and so it was only natural in my household that when Buffy started airing on the WB when I was in middle school that it would be like that we would watch it it was like a family activity and you know beyond the like witty writing and um the amazing 90s fashion (laughs) um I really fell in love with the characters' story arcs. And, um, you know, certainly I am not, like, there is no ancient prophecy with my name on it that um, has tasked me with saving the world over and over. But as a young adult, I really did resonate with Buffy's storyline in the way that she had to step into a role of, responsibility and of adulthood that her peers couldn't connect with her on right so there there were parts of my childhood where I felt like I really was being asked to like step into a more adult role to take on responsibility that my peers couldn't really understand so that really spoke um to me a lot and um as a queer witch, of course, I have a profound affinity for Willow. Yes. <laughs> I feel very seen and represented by that uh, media character. But um, yeah, I, I've loved Buffy since it started airing. And at first it was more so because it was entertaining and witty. But as I've matured, my adoration for the series has only intensifies such that I have like a big Buffy tattoo on my arm. Uh, it's like, it's that, it's that intense, but you know, the show is not perfect. I will say that. And one of the things that I really love about buffering the vampire slayer, the podcast is that the, the two hosts are really willing to call out the series and at times the series creators and writers for, um, 
like perpetuating some like problematic tropes um, and for failing it many it many times to like handle race especially mm-hmm. well um, so it's not beyond critique but the show was and continues to be important for a lot of people in the ways that it it has delivered a character many characters but in Buffy a character that is both tender and fierce and my brand like my business name is Power Femme so I have like a love for that that union of ferocity and tenderness and there's a lot of that at play in Buffy yeah Absolutely. And and I couldn't agree more about um, buffering and how it's like the two together. Like if you were only watching Buffy and you didn't have that sort of dialogue about some of the problematic issues, but also digging deeper into some of the the issues that they do cover well, mm-hmm. um, that it's it would be it would feel to me incomplete. So like having this and having them in tandem is just so wonderful. And, and it really reminds me of the power of, of our sort of modern media to add new layers onto existing things. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just so great how, like, they'll, they'll even call out the characters, which is obviously the writing, but just the way that they do it is just so hilarious. I love it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, like, want a shirt that has, like, Piss Baby Xander on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, exactly. I know. I'm like, they, they put a new shirt out that was like local girl gang with Buffy and Faith. I'm like, I need the new shirt. I need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's so, so good. So um, I can't recommend that enough to anybody listening that if you are not already a Buffy fan, it's on Hulu or obviously DVDs. Um, and to listen to the podcast episode by episode, you will not yeah. be sorry. Yeah. And to have two collide a bit, there was through, oh gosh, Dark Horse Publishing, a failed attempt to have a Buffy tarot deck. And this was, oh gosh, 10, 15 years ago. Um, And I have always mourned the fact that this Buffy tarot deck didn't come into being. And on my Patreon, I've had a lot of fun with the patrons there exploring the major arcana Mm -hmm. through the Buffyverse and uh, thinking about the ways we can see the fool's journey of the major arcana in the tarot like really well represented in the Buffy series so it's been a it's a fun little mashup of worlds happening over there yeah that's so awesome (laughs) and that's what first made me go I need to be a patron and then I was like oh shit I can't look at this because it'll probably have spoilers but I'm totally gonna look at it later (laughs) (laughs) um well and it makes me think too that like you should team up with an artist friend and like make that shit happen I would love to do that. Yeah, so maybe maybe that's one of my offerings to the world in the future is um, seeing a Buffy tarot deck through to publication. It would be such a beautiful legacy to leave. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, trying to think if there was other things specifically. Oh, you mentioned your love of forests, and I have a shared love of forests. So I didn't know if there was anything in particular, like a favorite 
place that you go or just like what it is that you get out of being in a forest? Yeah, well, I mentioned at the beginning that um, I recently moved from Indiana to New Orleans. And New Orleans is a really green city. But I've, I went from living on 40 plus acres in Indiana to now living in a much more urban landscape. And so I have had to make different sorts of efforts to connect with the land and connect with trees. Um, There are really beautiful parks in New Orleans, so I can't complain about that. But moving to a city has also been a really wonderful reminder that nature is not a place we go, right? That's sad, like a sad construction that we have where it's like we have these manicured, curated parks, and that's where nature lives. And then everything else is not nature, but to like see in the city, particularly in a place like New Orleans, that um, is one incredibly historic, but also like the infrastructure here of the city is like, not, not super great. And there are a lot of like, problematic political reasons why that's so but nonetheless, it's, it's really phenomenal to see the like resistant roots of live oak trees just busting through sidewalk and it's been a really awesome reminder that like nature is here in a cityscape we just need to be more attuned to it in the in the ways that it it does kind of show up but um nonetheless I do kind of miss being like on on 40 acres being like the hermit witch, like in Baba Yaga's house, like back tucked in the <laughs> woods. But um, yeah, I find I find the forest really, really nourishing and always feel I don't ever have the right language for it. But I feel intimately tethered when I step into the forest. It's like I can feel all these energy points of my body's just kind of plugging in. And that for me is really revitalizing. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned the big oak trees. And one of the things we got to do at the Gulf Coast Gathering, which I think they did the year before. And my guess is because we were nice and like wrote them all these nice thank you cards. They'll probably invite them back each year. Mm -hmm. There's this tree um, called the Seven Sisters. And Mm -hmm. it's like 1500 years old, a 1500 year old oak tree. So the people who have owned, you know, the land over the years have, especially as the tree's gotten just gigantic and really old, have had to do a lot of work to maintain it and keep it structurally sound. And so there's just a few cables and things like that. And um, But it is the biggest tree. I mean, there's redwood trees, which are giant in their own way, but to see an oak tree that big and just get to mm-hmm. walk around in silence with other people who have reverence for this tree and just like placing your hand on it. And mm-hmm. oh, it was so awesome. So awesome. Sounds really beautiful. This Gulf Coast gathering, I didn't realize that um, there was so much like active Druidry and paganism more generally here here in the South. Yeah, Yeah, it's crazy. I think that there's um, Baton Rouge, there's like a fairly large what they call seed Mm -hmm. group there. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that I, I feel like I haven't asked you much about is your your kind of academic work. And so you were gender studies, right? Which makes mm-hmm. sense with some of the things that you've shared. But is there anything about that and or even just like, 
people who might be curious about um, that intersection of sort of the the study of queer issues, gender issues, all of that kind of stuff, and how, like, what do they do with that? What, how do I engage with this information? I know that was a really vague question, but basically whatever you want to say about mm. your your sort of studies, yeah. but also, like, how can that be relevant for, for you or anyone else in day-to-day life? Sure, sure. Well, I'd say that um, whether you're formally or informally a student of gender and sexuality, um, we're all experts in this field because we live in a thoroughly gendered world. And one of my like favorite ways of thinking about this and um, like introducing the topic to people who are new to gender studies um, is to draw on a quote by an author, Judith Lorber, who um, wrote many things, one of which is uh, an essay called The Social Construction of Gender. Um, but sh- the first line of this piece is for many of us, it's something akin to for many of us thinking about gender is akin to a fish thinking about water. And so as, as an educator and even in my work with clients with the tarot, I feel like a lot of what I'm doing is helping us to see the water and to recognize um, the like deeply gendered world that we live in. And then from there, we can start to make more critical conscious choices on a micro and a macro level. And gender studies, the name of it is a little bit deceiving because it is, there is a primacy of, of thinking about gender there, but none of us are just one thing, right? And so it is inextricably linked to conversations about race, class, sexuality, ability, nation, so on and so forth, and how various systems of power and axes of identity are mutually constitutive, right? So, um, yeah, that's, that's my, like, Gender Studies 101. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you managed to take my very... Um inarticulate question and give a very good answer and use a word that I'd never heard before, constitutive. So great job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things I thought would be fun, and I sort of intended to do it um, earlier when I asked you if you had a deck around, and then I just got sidetracked to whatever we were talking about. But I thought it might be fun to put you in your element and maybe for each of us to draw a card and... um, and then you can say whatever you want to say about the card you drew, and I'll say whatever I want to say about the card I drew, but certainly welcome, since you have a lot more experience with the deck, um, any input that you would have about whatever card I draw. Beautiful. I love it. So are we drawing and interpreting for one another, or...? Oh, my Am I, it gives me hives. <laughs> uh, no, we don't have to do it that way. Maybe I will do, when I pull a card, I can do a collective reading and so if it brings forth a message that resonates for folks that are listening like take it as a message for you but if it doesn't resonate that's also cool too love it all right i'll give the deck a shuffle which deck are you using um i have with me at my office the everyday witch deck have you seen this one it's like super cute yeah really like it cute 
I just shuffled this one. I like how this deck, um, it's, it is obviously witchy, like in every, but like it's being very tongue in cheek, like with the black hat and the black cat, but there's, um, but there's also a lot of depth to them too. So mm -hmm. everyone can enjoy our sound of like beautiful shuffling. Shuffling, yes. <laughs> Okay. All right. Do you want to go first or shall I? Um, I'll go. Okay. Okay. Another question where I know there's not a right answer, but I'm just curious what you would say. So after mm -hmm. you shuffle, if you're just doing like a one card reading or a two card, do you tend to pull from the top or do you just like reach your hand somewhere and, the, and are like, this is the right card? I do whatever feels right in that moment. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes a card will jump out or it will kind of like slide its position in a way that looks weird in the deck. And so I feel like it's kind of winking at me saying I'm the one. So it's really whatever feels right. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. Damn it. I like when there's a right. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I, I did the same thing actually with... Um, I did a, co <laughs> a collective um, draw this morning for, I started a little little spinoff group for the Wild Soul participants for like mental health practitioners. Yeah. And so I was doing a reading for that group and same thing, I took my big ass Druidcraft deck and I was mm -hmm. going to shuffle it. And then as I was going to shuffle it, one just fell right off the bottom. And I was like, well, I'll just take this one. And it just felt right. Yeah. So it's, it's good to know that like, yeah, I know there's no wrong way to do it, but it's always nice to, like, hear that validated that there's mm -hmm. one day you can pull off the top and one day you can pull somewhere else. Okay, mm -hmm. so all mm -hmm. that to say, I drew the Ace of Pentacles. Beautiful. So I guess how I would interpret this um, and will get your help with. So Pentacles meaning sort of like the physical world and finances and real world shit. Um, and ace being sort of like new beginnings, um, <laughs> where this, where my head went just now was like, I've been saying I need to like rework my like m budget thing, like my, like how mm -hmm. I track my like expenses and all of that, but it's overwhelming and I need to start from scratch. So I don't know, I guess this card is saying like, I should just fucking do it. So that's how I'm reading it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's great. If that's what the card's saying to you, that's absolutely that's absolutely perfect. Yeah. Cool. Great. Cool. Well, for you all, I pulled the Emperor. And again, I'm using the Smithwaite Tarot deck, the Centennial Edition. And it's funny that this card kind of popped forward because we've have been having some conversations about what the goddess means to us and finding more justice-centered, non-oppressive ways to relate to the divine and to the tarot. And then the card that is often like most triggering for folks um, regarding like matters of gender and sexuality, like it pops up. Like a lot of a lot of folks for good reason have like a strange relationship with the archetype of the emperor because um, we often associate it so quickly with a very like patronizing, patriarchal um, like personality or system. 
So I felt like the emperor was like stepping, stepping forward in order to have a little bit of a redefinition. And the deck I mentioned earlier, the slow hauler tarot, um, I, I know again that it's, it's out of print, but um, nonetheless, I really appreciate the way that the creators of that deck revision the emperor. And so I, I cite those creators and offer this interpretation forward for those of us who might struggle with this um, like masculine archetype of the emperor. In the slow hauler, it's renamed the navigator. So it's using gender neutral language, which can feel much more comfortable and inclusive for lots of folks. And it is more about finding order, structure, stability in the midst of chaos. So the emperor follows the empress. For me, the empress is a card all about not only receptivity, but also kind of like the beautiful, creative chaotic impulse of the universe and then the emperor steps in afterward or the navigator in the slow hauler deck as a way of finding a more systematized ordered structured way so the energy the energetic essence of the emperor and really of any card is not actually gendered we use gendered socially constructed archetypes to relate to them but the energy the energetic essence of the emperor is about stability about structure about order about stepping into your power taking up space claiming your own authority um which is like those are not that's not about necessarily gender so yeah i feel like the the emperor wanted to step in for us today kind of dovetailing all of our conversations about about gender and tarot for justice in order to get a little bit of a revisioning. So for folks who struggle with the emperor, there's there's a more gender neutral um, way of interpreting that card. Yeah, yeah. And I was in my head hearing the buffering patriarchy jingle. The patriarchy! Yeah. Yeah. But of course, and, and I think that, you know, that could stand in as that inner reading for somebody, or oh, it could be, fun. it could be a different sense of quote, masculine energy. I, I actually, um, that made me think about, cause I just read this earlier today. So another book, um, this WTF is Tarot by Bakara Winter. So I picked this up at Powell's before, I don't, I think maybe I started following her, but I, I hadn't even followed her. I didn't know who she was. She owns this like magic shop in, um, North Carolina, but I can already tell from the parts of this book that I've read that I'm going to love her. Um, which obviously this is written in a very sort of like modern, um, language, but she has this little section that says a note on fucking gender. And, Mm. um, and it's just going to read like a sentence or two of this. So she says, we cannot fully understand the cards if we were completely remove those, these associations, they are not in place to be divisive or exclusive. It has nothing to do with gender identity or sexuality or genitals or politics. Rather, the gender of the cards speaks to their quintessential energies. So that's just one little snippet of what she's saying around it, which, you mm-hmm. know, I, I appreciate that, like, we all have, regardless what your, um, what your sex is, what your gender identity is, we all have the inner masculine and inner feminine energies, um, whether someone likes to think of it in that sense, or if they don't, then they don't have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'll have to pick that book up. I haven't, I haven't read that one. One that I have recently been enjoy, enjoying that you might appreciate as well is Modern Tarot by Michelle T. Okay, and she takes almost an autobiographical approach to each card and offers more politicized. readings of each card and then at the end of each card section there are like some recommendations for like activities and um like spell work and exercises to explore the and work with the energy of that card so that's another another good one but i'll have to oh yeah that sounds awesome check out makara's book too yeah so um i um, so I have also up on here your Etsy shop page, which I will mm. link in the show notes. And mm-hmm. I've started like skimming through this because I definitely want to get a reading from you soon. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh, my God, there's so many to choose from. Um, <laughs> and I'm curious, like, I think some of these are your own creations. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe some of them are more sort of like um, general, but... I don't even know what question I want to ask you around this. I'm just like amazed and inspired and um, anything that you want to say about like these different sort of readings that you offer. Oh, well, awesome. Thank you for the the compliments on them. But I, I hope you're not too overwhelmed by the, the number of readings up there because there are indeed quite a few and some more to come. But all the spreads that are up there are ones that I have designed and I don't lift them from anyone else. Cool. Um, and if none of them really speak to you, I have an option called Tailored Tarot where I develop a custom spread that speaks in a more um, precise way to your needs or your inquiry. So that's always an option. But um, yeah, I loved I love designing spreads. And I think maybe my favorite one that's up there, one of my favorite readings to do is called Sacred Sexuality. Mm-hmm. And it's a six card spread. I offer it as a PDF reading or as a video reading. And this spread has everything to do with stepping into healing and emboldening your erotic self and understanding that if you're someone who identifies as a sexual being, because not everyone identifies as a sexual being, but understanding that as something that is autonomous and sovereign to you, it's a, it's an inner resource and inner power that you have access to at any point, right? So you are, no less a sexual person just because you're not partnered or don't have several partners or if you're not actively having sex with other people. So it's it's all about like focusing in on your your erotic self and offering some like healing there if there that's necessary and thinking about ways um, that you can like show up as a sexual being in a more authentic way, both when it's just like you yourself and you or when you're interacting with other people. So that's been, that's been a really popular reading that I've done. And it's, it's one that I designed because that's an area in my own life that I'm really working on nourishing and healing and reclaiming. And so I think other folks pick up on that, um, 
we're all yeah. kind of doing that work together. Yeah. Sold. um and how does it work when you're so i I guess like a video reading you can see the other person you can sort of sense their energy um when it's like a pdf reading or something like i'm because i'm sure you're you know you're not the only one who's doing there's a lot of people doing these like long distance readings so i'm just kind of curious like what is it what are you going off of? Like, what is the information that you have about someone before you do any kind of reading for them? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I invite people to share whatever it is they feel they need to offer. You can offer as little or as much information as you feel comfortable with. I understand tarot as taking an energetic snapshot of the present moment so that we can make more informed and empowered choices for ourselves moving forward. So even if I just have a little bit of information, I'm still able to take that energetic snapshot and I have a whole system of like grounding and centering and inviting in my spiritual allies as well as the spiritual allies of the person for whom I'm reading and then the cards become the tool they become the channel for for that work but yeah it's it's interesting because tarot can be so amazingly literal and precise even across the bounds of space and time so even if i'm reading for someone in germany and they're not opening the pdf until like three days from now right it's like there's still this profound intimacy that happens which is really beautiful yeah cool Mm -hmm. yeah and i um I'm going to link to your your Patreon and your Etsy and stuff in the show notes. But one of the other things that I wanted to ask about is the course that you're working on. I'm mm. like, when does it come out? When can you <laughs> take it? And, and tell people a little bit about what your goal is with that. What are you trying to share? Sure. So I'm working on an e-course right now that is titled Tarot in the Tower. And it is all about approaching tarot from a justice-centered lens. And I'm not totally sure when it will be out or what the format will be. I'm still very much in the developmental stages with it, but it's not going to be a course that dogmatically offers a revised set of interpretations for the 78 cards. Rather, it's an invitation for us to think critically about how we interact with the deck as a tool, as a cultural artifact, and to make efforts to read for ourselves and for others in ways that do recognize the social and political context and facilitate individual and collective healing. So I don't know when it will be out because as I'm sure you know, sometimes these things have, they have like minds of their own. (laughs) You can have like the best, the best timeline and have it all like mapped out, but then the project is going to unfold when and how it needs to unfold. So it, it might be a little bit, but on my Instagram, I, I post updates about what's going on, and that's at Power Femme Tarot. So you can um, 
get the word from me there. Awesome. Definitely looking forward to that. And random question, as I'm sitting here looking at these cards, um, I know that we're obviously multifaceted beings and all of that, but is there a single card that you feel like best represents you? Mm. That best represents me? I'd say... I'd say strength, actually. Um, that it wasn't my first thought because I'm I'm transiting right now more through the death card, but I feel like at my core I'm I'm more of a strength card person. Um, one, I'm a Leo, so there's the astrological correspondence there, but I'm exploring strength a lot as a card of really intensive trauma healing. There are some traditional interpretations of the card that to me read as being kind of um, like disciplining, like we're trying to harness this primal energy and um, trying to like really quell the, the ferocity of the lion. When really for me, this is a card about like inner fortitude, about radical trust, about remembering that tenderness and ferocity are not mutually constituent are not like mutually exclusive. You can be both at the same time. And um, yeah, just because of the work that I'm doing, kind of like bridging my own, I'm doing a lot of heart opening work. I recently like learned how to cry. That sounds silly to say, but that was great. I, yeah, like I'm doing a lot of work like to soften, mm-hmm. um, but to know that it doesn't mean that I'm losing um, kind of like the the sharp sort of like fierce femme edge mm-hmm. that I have. Yeah, awesome. That resonates a lot with me and my my struggle or my growing edge, I should say. Is, is less that I, it's not that I don't feel comfortable, for instance, crying, but mm-hmm. I just am so up here. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's like there's a ping pong game happening 24 mm-hmm. seven in my brain. Sure, sure. <laughs> so I feel like um, based on a, what I drew yesterday and reading it in that book, I was like, oh, shit, I think I'm the daughter of swords. But I, I'm, I'm growing. My hope is to grow more into the energy of the temperance card. Yeah, because yeah, I just, yeah. I'm never gonna be. I don't know. I, I think for me, it is more about sort of balancing polarities rather than like being all this or all this. So yeah, beautiful. Yeah, and I know you are also a Harry Potter fan. And for me, whenever I pull the Daughter of Swords or the Page of Swords, I think of Hermione Granger. She's like my pop culture. Uh, archetype for that sort of energy. So that makes like total, total sense. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have a pin, um, one of the little cute enamel pins on Mm -hmm. my denim jacket. That's like a little stack of books and the spines read, what would Hermione do? It's a great pin next to my Randy for Giles pin. (laughs) Anyway. Mm -hmm. So, so Crystal, what is the fucking point? Oh, that is the question, isn't it? Um, it's it's interesting because just a couple weeks ago, I mentioned to, this to you in an email. Um, 
my spouse and a friend were literally having a conversation about this exact question and they their conclusion was there is no point they didn't mean it in any sort of like fatalistic sort of way um and i don't i don't disagree however i think the point is to give it a point to give our lives meaning and for everyone the point is going to be our individual treatment yeah i don't know if that there is necessarily inherently a point but the point is um to give meaning even when we're feeling like it all is meaningless mm-hmm. amen <laughs> amen <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to be on. I know that we'll stay in touch and I'm definitely going to do a reading soon. Um, yeah. And I think I, I think we covered all of your, the links will be there. Um, so yeah, we did it. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. And I'll, I'll briefly mention that for folks who are in the New Orleans area, Keep an eye on my Instagram and on my website, which is powerfemtarot.com, because I'll be doing some workshops and some readings locally around in the fall once it once it cools off and we have a little relief from this heat. So if you're local, I'd love to bump into you. And there are plenty of ways to connect with me for those who are not in the New Orleans area. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find past episodes and show notes at wonderwelltherapy.com slash podcast. We'll take you to the place to find all of that good stuff. If you're looking for links or resources or anything else related to the show. Also, if you want to leave a review on iTunes, it helps more people find out about the show. That's bit.ly slash WTFP review. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep asking those big questions.